0: When in church, as we continue to worship, I'm going to encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus. Turn with me to the 20th chapter, Exodus chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles right in front of you. If you look at the pews, the back of the pews, you see Bibles. Real close, you can turn in that pew Bible and you can find uh, page 74. That's going to get you to Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. We are walking, if you're new to Dawson, we're walking through a series on the Ten Commandments. We come now to the Fourth Commandment, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Each week we're taking one commandment and we are thinking as Christians how we understand these commandments and how we live into these commandments today for your life and my life. It was beautiful to hear our choirs and our instrumentalists leading us. And what a great day for us to to think about this fourth commandment, to remember the Sabbath. How do we do that in our life? I think if there's ever a time that we need to think carefully about our relationship to work, it it is time as now. If you just think about this, you know, over the last two years, there's so much that has changed but I don't know if there has been more of a uh, seismic change than the relationship that that many people have to their work and to their home. Uh, For the last two years, there have been a lot of people that have gone remote and, and are working from home and traded in dress pants for sweatpants, and your office became not a commute, but it was a commute not downtown but a commute uh, literally from your bed to a, a side desk in your bedroom or or maybe a spare bedroom that you turned into an office or uh, for many people it's the coffee shop down down the road and our relationship to how we work uh, now that's not true for everyone uh, there there are many people that the last 2 years the nature of their work hasn't changed that uh, dramatically but for millions of people There's never been a time where your work was with you as much as it is now. You you can literally, for many of you, work at any time from anywhere. Get a big conference call. I mean, you you can be on vacation, carve out 30 minutes, Zoom call, and it might as well have been as if you were at home. Your clients are... uh, Text away from you and email away from you. You can get that at at one in the morning, or you could get that at one in the afternoon. It makes no difference. You can work anywhere, anytime. But is that is that good? To always be on, to always be available, to have the potential to always be working is that is that the best way? For you to flourish spiritually, emotionally, physically, and intellectually. And and I think God's word is very clear as we open up to the fourth commandment in Exodus chapter 20. There is a better way than to work all the time from anywhere. Exodus chapter 20 verse 8 reminds us to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Verse 9, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. Own it, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who's within your gates. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them. And what did he do? He rested on the seventh day. So therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Holy. It's obvious, especially if you're looking at Exodus chapter 20, look what comes before and look what comes after Exodus chapter 20, uh, verses 8 through 11. Look at the third and the second and the first commandment and look at the fifth and following. And what you're going to discover just by looking at the typeset of Exodus chapter 20 is by far Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11, the fourth commandments, the longest of the commandments. Many of the commandments are these short, pithy statements, one sentence. We get four, starting in verse 8 culminating in verse 11. So we have a mandate and we have a model and we have practice to see in here. We've got commentary and explanation, and actually illustration that is embedded in the fourth commandment. So there's a lot to unpack. I want you to see first that there's a dual mandate. Notice with me the Sabbath mandate. In verse eight, we, we are told to remember the Sabbath to keep it holy, verse eight. And then in verse nine, a dual twin type of mandate is six days you shall labor and work. So before we get to the rest part of the fourth commandment, we need to be reminded that work is not a result of the fall. Work is not a bad word to be avoided as much as you can. Actually, work is a good gift for you. It is a good gift for our society. Adam and Eve, there in the garden, were given responsibility. They were to tend the garden. They were given dominion. They were given authority and responsibility They are prior to the fall. So work is something that is good for you. Work is something that is good for me. A hard day's work, and to lay your head in the bed at the end of the day, that is God's grace for you and for me. We, we are created with gifts. We are created with the opportunity to use our hands and to use our minds. Now, do you always have to get paid for that? The answer is no, but are we called to be productive? Are we called to use what God has entrusted to us in such a way for the flourishing, not only of us individually, but for our community, the church, the world? And the answer is yes and yes and yes. So so do not think... That work is the result of the fall. Work is God's grace to you and his gift to you. Now how that gets played out at different seasons of life, well, that's going to look different for a 17-year-old that's in college than it is for a 77-year-old who maybe is retired from her profession. But work we are called to do. I think sometimes we can fall on the other end of the spectrum here where we don't hear enough of the importance of us giving ourselves to the work that we're called to do. But with that said, God knew that that we had a unique temptation. And especially after Genesis chapter three, our relationship to work is a fallen relationship. So your relationship and my relationship, while God has given to us work as a gift, he knows that as sinful humans we will take God's good gift and we will exalt it oftentimes over the giver and we end up making an idol of our work. And so our work becomes the most important thing of our identity. And when our work becomes what defines us, it ultimately will become what confines us. And it's very important for you to see the Sabbath mandate and God said, hey, I've got a great idea to give you a, a rest, a respite, so that work isn't embedded in the very fabric of creation, that work isn't all that you're going to do by this seventh day of rest here, lest we make work into an idol. Christopher Wright, who's a renowned Old Testament scholar, talks about the uniqueness of the Sabbath. The Sabbath, he says, was a unique Israelite institution. That from historical documents... This Sabbath practice was unknown by any of the surrounding cultures of the ancient world. And we especially know this because the Israelites were set free from what? 365 days a year of work, 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 toil, toil, toil. They were slaves in Egypt. There were no 52 days a year that they would work. All of their life was for the, the work of Pharaoh. And so when God sets them free out of Egypt, one of the gifts that he gives them is that Sabbath rest. Notice when God is reiterating the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 15 gives us this real precise point. Of God's work and our response for the Israelites. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Do you hear what is being said? God worked for you, the Israelites, so that you don't have to work all the time. So that you can rest. And for the Israelites who have been set free so that they could actually experience rest, for them to ignore this command is to do what? It is to backtrack into Egypt and to say we would rather be slaves to our work once again. And when you and I ignore the Sabbath commandment of rest, do you know what we're doing? We're backtracking. We're backtracking back into Egypt, being defined by our work. And do not be misled. We are Confined by it also. So notice the Sabbath mandate, a mandate to rest, but a mandate to work. But notice also a Sabbath model, the model of creation. So so in this Sabbath command, we have an illustration. Not an illustration of Moses, not an illustration of, of Joshua, we have an illustration where? We have an illustration of God Himself resting after the six days of creation here. Go back to verse 11 here. We have uh, the the creation being peeled back and we get to peer into this moment where, where God takes a day off after six days of work here. Now, why did he do this? Because he was exhausted? No, he's inexhaustible. Is it that God gets to the hundred billionth star that envelops the canopy of the Milky Way and says, you know something, that's just one too many here. I need to kick my feet up. Is it that God gets to what astronomers tell us are 200 billion galaxies? Is it as if God comes to the 200 billionth galaxy And said, you know something, I need a mental break. No, the eternal God doesn't need to get away on a a vacation. He he is endless in energy. He's completely sustained in, in his being here. So when he takes that that day of rest, when he punches out on the, the end of the sixth day and he rests on the seventh day, he changes the very fabric of creation itself. He embeds in creation this importance of rhythm and rest. Work, rest, work, rest. That very rhythm is embedded. And I would just say this, and we can just be honest about this. It is the absolute epitome of foolishness and folly to think you and I have more work to get done than God did in the very creation of the universe. I mean, really, I mean, if you just think about it for a second, I've got so much to get done. I've just got to, I've got to work through every week, every week, every week. Every week. And what we're saying is, is that God, he creates it all and he rests. And so we're exalting ourselves to say our responsibilities are more important than the very creation of all that exists. So God says, I'm going to be your model because this is vitally important for your flourishing. So notice with me a Sabbath mandate. Notice with me a Sabbath model. But now we want to land this and say, well, what does this actually look like as a Sabbath practice for Christians in this year, 2022, your life, your work, your family? How do we actually practice this? And it is important for us to understand that there is a distinction for us as Christians. We are not Israelites coming out of Egypt And our relationship to the Sabbath is transformed by whom? By Jesus. Now, how is it transformed? Well, one particular way it is transformed is when we practice Sabbath. Think back with me in the Gospel of Mark. You can turn there. Mark chapter 2. It's a very interesting passage because you have the Pharisees that come under uh, the, the attention. The Pharisees have the attention of Jesus and the disciples, and there's immense scrutiny that they're giving because, in their mind, as Jesus is walking with the disciples in the grain fields, and, and in that moment, uh, the, the disciples do something in Mark chapter 2. They, they pluck the heads of grain, and the Pharisees, who are scrupulous in keeping the law, say, Oh, he's breaking the Sabbath. And sometimes we think of the Pharisees and we think of them as the sort of the stormtroopers of the New Testament. They're, these are just the villains right there. But you do need to understand that these Pharisees they wanted at the very depth of their soul to, to live under the fourth commandment and live under the 10th commandment and to live under all of the law. And so they would have all of this oral tradition that they would build up in an effort to fulfill the law and to live under the law. And Jesus shows up and, and he is a challenge to their oral tradition. He is a challenge to what they're teaching And by him doing this on the Sabbath, he comes under the crosshairs of the Pharisees. Look, he's breaking the Sabbath. You can go back to the Old Testament and you can see that the penalty for breaking the Sabbath was was to be stoned here. So this is no minor offense here. And so Jesus gives us in Mark chapter 2, verse 27, these words that are very important for us to understand as Christians. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. What Jesus is saying here is that the Sabbath, uh, it ultimately points to Him. That Jesus is the actual fulfillment of the Sabbath. And one of the ways that we discover that is, is why you're sitting in a pew this morning. For the Israelites, they're they're practicing Sabbath on Saturday, but we gather on the Lord's day to worship him on Sunday. Why that seismic shift? I mean, you've got thousands of years of the Sabbath being on Saturday, and for the last 2,000 years, here we are worshiping on Sunday, the Lord's day. Well, what happened on Sunday 2,000 years ago? And this is what we see, how Jesus transforms our understanding. His resurrection was so powerful. So seismic that what happened 2,000 years ago there on Sunday when they walked into the tomb and it was empty because he was raised by the power of God forever transforms how we celebrate not Sabbath but the Lord's day when you walk through the New Testament. You begin to see that the way that these Jewish Christians begin to understand what Jesus did and how Jesus fulfilled the, the promise of the Sabbath through his resurrection and how they begin to not to, to worship on Sunday, it was remarkable, and we, we kind of read it, and we don't think much about it, but it was a seismic shift for this culture. So you're walking through the New Testament, and you see in Acts chapter 20 that the believers were breaking bread. And worshiping on Sunday. When you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul says, Hey, the first day of the week, that Sunday, I want you to take up an offering and I want you to distribute it because there are Jerusalem Christians that are in a famine here. When you worship, take up an offering, much like we, what we do when we worship, and you have the opportunity to give as a response to God's grace that He has given to you. You have John exiled. The Isle of Patmos in Revelation chapter one, and we read, "I was in the spirit on the Lord's day." So one way that we celebrate the Sabbath. Isn't first and foremost that the Sabbath is a a day for us where we kick back and we unwind and we relax and it's just a day that we catch up? No, first and foremost, it is a priority of worship where we gather because what happened 2,000 years ago through the cross and the resurrection is so impactful in your life and in my life, that our response is to take a day that is distinct from the other six to gather together in person like you are doing right here this morning and to sing and to pray and to hear the word of the Lord spoken to you and preached. And to be able to take our resources and to faithfully steward those resources not only for the good of of what happens in these walls but for the good of what happens in Birmingham and Alabama and this nation and this world. And so one priority that we hear from the fourth commandment is that we are to consecrate a day to worship Him as you are doing this morning. Now, of course, there are going to be thousands of people who can't worship on Sunday because they're providentially hindered. And I am grateful and you're grateful. If you've ever been sick and unable to gather in worship, if you've ever uh, cared for a loved one who cannot physically attend worship, we, we have right now, there are people that are watching our services that are providentially hindered from being able to gather in person and praise God for the technology that we have to be able to minister in such a way. Praise God for the ability for for countless people to be able to be blessed by the ministries of this church, a church that they love deeply, but for whatever reason, they're not able to gather together. But for all of us who are able to, to get here and to be here, this is the church. The assembly of brothers and sisters gathered together, sitting shoulder to shoulder. There's a priority to be able to worship together in person because this is one way that we say, hey, this day is distinct. This day is different. But it's not just the priority of worship that we live under and live through as Christians. There is a priority of rest. Uh, we, We don't ignore the very fabric of creation that God rested, that he called the Israelites to rest, and that was a gift. And notice in Exodus chapter 20, it wasn't just a gift to the Israelites, but it was a gift to the whole culture. The sons, the daughters, the servants, male servant, female servant, livestock, sojourners. Do you see what's happening here? The very culture is being shifted. And so it is for us that we are called to be believers who prioritize not only worship, but rest. But what does that rest look like? And this is where, for 2,000 years, people have a tendency to to want to draw up a list of regulations. There is a pharisaical spirit that dwells in all of our souls as Christians. And we, we, we always long for rules and regulations. And oftentimes, when we get to talking about the Lord's Day we will go off the ditch of saying, well, here's what's acceptable and here's what's unacceptable. Here's what you can do to practice rest on the Lord's day and here's where you cross the line. But we have to be real careful about that, right? One is, do you find that list in the book of Philippians? Do you find that list in Romans? Do you find that list in Matthew chapter 10? So there's not a list, and then all of this, we also need to understand is, is specific to the culture that we live in. The principle remains, but we have to live out that principle in our life. This day cannot be just another day for us, but, but they are going to be unique opportunities that every individual and every family has to work through. And there's a lot of Christian freedom that we have to have as followers of Jesus lest we draw up a list And make it a burden and a yoke that we place upon people. I'm just one example, but the principle of rest is on me as your pastor. I have to have that rest. What I'm doing right now is not restful to me. I love doing it. It is an absolute joy to do it, But I am so grateful that the church says, David, we understand that preaching three times on Sunday, while it is is, uh, something that I enjoy and I love, it's not going to be the most restful day for me. So Friday is the day that I'm able to, to live out that principle of rest. Today, you'll have police officers that help you cross Oxmoor. Praise God, aren't we thankful that we have police officers, lest you have a fender bender coming to church and there's actually someone to call. Aren't, aren't you thankful uh, for the fire department that, that works on, on Sunday? Aren't, aren't, aren't you thankful for uh, EMTs that you could call today, uh, for ER physicians that are working today, for, for nurses that are working today? The principle for all of these Christians that work in these different professions where Sunday is a part of their ebb and flow, that principle of rest and that principle of worship is still upon them, No doubt but that will look different for me as your pastor and it will look different for those professions. Now, I know what you're saying. Well, David, you're giving all these caveats, all these disclaimers. I just need to know, can I cut my grass or not cut my grass today? That's all I need to know. (laughs) I just like, get to the point. Can I exercise or not exercise today? Can I trim the hedges or not trim the hedges? Can I work inside of the house cleaning up but not work outside the house lest somebody drive by and see me, right? What goes with sports? Can can we throw the baseball outside on Sunday, but can't play a game? You know, where do you draw the line here? And again, even in asking that question, do you see what we're doing? That the spirit of what we're doing is to say, what all can I do without crossing the line of breaking this commandment here? So we're trying, we're trying to build all of these rules and all of these regulations and we miss, we we miss the forest for the trees. We miss the very spirit of this commandment here. It's not first and foremost about drawing up a list of what you cannot do on the Lord's day, but it is rather what we do on the Lord's day the priority of worship, the priority of rest in our lives. So, to just sum this up, as we live under the fourth commandment as followers of Jesus, not ancient Israelites, understanding that the resurrection of Jesus transforms when we worship how we live out this principle of rest, there needs to be a lot of room for Christian freedom. You and I... Individually or in our families must exercise wise, godly judgment individually. And if we come to the day and we say, you know something, it's just another day. It's just another day. There's nothing distinct about it. I can assure you, you're not living into the fourth commandment. Notice with me the mandate. Notice with me the model. Notice with me the practice. But finally, I'd be remiss if we just stopped right here. Because there's something about this Sabbath that that really is an appetizer of a greater day. As much as you experience rest this side of heaven, there still is an incompleteness of the rest. As, As beautiful as our worship is here at Dawson, and praise God, it is. The beauty of the diversity of the ages that you saw represented here. The beauty of the diversity of the instruments that you saw represented here. There there is something that is so, so stirring and life-giving about that and wholly unique. But but it is but a foretaste of what we will experience in heaven. And so all of our Sabbath-keeping ultimately is preparing us for a day where where we will rest with him perfectly. But until that day, God offers you a rest that is not just contained to the Lord's day. The writer of Hebrews is reflecting upon this promise of Sabbath. And it's an interesting passage where he comes into Hebrews chapter 4 and he says, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. What? What? There remains a Sabbath rest for the people. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Do you see what the writer of Hebrews is doing is? He is saying that this rest that you experience on Sabbath, there there is something about it that really is, is just an analogy and it really is a symbol for something far greater. Think of the Last words of Jesus on the cross, what were they? One phrase that he uttered from the cross was, it is finished. Why did he say that? So that you could rest from trying to save yourself. That all the work that needed to be done on the cross was, To bring you a sinner into the presence of a holy God was done fully by him so you can rest from the labor of trying to save yourself. And if you are a follower of him today, there there are rests that he offers that are not pertaining just to Sunday morning or what you do or what you don't do on Sunday afternoon. Do you know, Christian, that you can rest from your insecurity because your security is found fully in Christ? Christ? Do you know, Christian, that you can rest from your striving for perfection? Because your perfection is found fully in Christ, not just Sunday, but every day. Do you know, Christian, that you can can rest from your strivings to perform and to make a name for yourself so that you might garner the attention of God? No, you can rest from that. Because you have his attention. He loves you. He loves you fully. There's nothing that you can do that is going to make him love you more. There is a rest that he he is calling you to experience. This is what he would say. Come to me. Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. There, there are some of you here this morning that have the weight of the world on your shoulder. And you feel as if you're sort of one day away from things just crashing at work, at home. For some of you that have that have this, this burden of responsibility that is upon you and you're wearing it. But I'm here to tell you today that Jesus offers a better way. He says, Come to me, all of you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And this is a rest that's not just available here on Sunday morning but it is a rest that is available every day at any moment any moment so the rest that God offers my friend is an assurance that God has worked on your behalf and that God is working in you even right now so that you can rest fully in him. Amen.